especially in Galatians chapter 3 and 2 Corinthians, the end of chapter 5, but I invite you to look at the back of your the back of your bulletin. You have a lot of text of scripture. As I've mentioned the last two weeks, but I know that some of you may be here, you're jumping in on this third week, but this is the third week of a series that I just began, and this is my first series at, at Faith, and it is our first series together with me, and I wanted to preach a sermon called, series called First Things First, what are foundational to everything about us. And it is not a sermon alone that's just, okay, if you're going to be a good church, you need to keep these things first, because they are, but it's not just that. And so they, these are sermons that leadership in the church and deacons and future deacons and pastors and future pastors and young people and members, we all need to care. If we keep an eye on what's important in the church, surely we need to do that. But these are first things in our lives. First things that are to be central to who we are and what we are all about. And so you can see on the, on the back we began two weeks ago with the Word. The Word is the standard of all things for all faith and all practice and all life and all things. It is our source of life of all things. And God's Word, which is our revelation, points us to our purpose. We saw last week. And you and I exist to so anchor our hearts and our lives in a joy in God and His glory forever. That's what we exist for. This morning I want to talk about how we do that. How in the world do we have the power and the authority? How do we have the ability and the strength and the sustaining grace to be able to root and anchor our entire lives in God? How do we have joy in God when life stinks? feels like it does sometimes. I want to talk to you about something that may seem so familiar to you, and it's so talked about so often that it is so easy for us to get bored. The familiarity of it may put tempt us to be to nod off and say, I already got that, but this morning I challenge you, I ask you, I urge you, to listen up, because I do believe that God intends to, to do a work of transformation in your life this morning as we discuss this all-important concept, this all-important topic that is central to all of us, and that is Christ and the Gospel. Look at with me at these several passages. I'm going to read several of them. I'm going to read five of them, and I'm going to coach you again as I learn at at the end of the last passage, when I read Galatians 2.20, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you will say, thanks be to God, and mean it. This, this is God, God is speaking to us, and this is a gift to God, from God to us. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, and it's up on the screen. Now I would remind you, brothers of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, 
If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed it in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Galatians 3, 11, and then 13 and 14. For all who rely on the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive this promised spirit through faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Take note, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 1, 15-17 says, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to ever, for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the gospel, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. One last. I have been crucified, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I do pray that you would please help us right now. Would you open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things out of your law? You unite our, ourselves, our hearts, to fear your name. You would satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. In Jesus' name, amen. The word of God and the glory of God are centered clearly in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the center of the church. There is no faithfulness in church, of any church, unless there is faithfulness to this gospel. There is no other gospel. This gospel is center. This gospel is the power of God and the salvation and sanctification. The church is about the glory of God in the world through the gospel. And you... As an individual, you as a member of a family, you as sitting in this 
service and sitting in your chair, you must find the gospel central to everything. Last week I said, would you please, I called you, because I believe God's word calls us to, I called you to set to this, this point. Anchor, or you must anchor your lives and your joy in a pursuit of God and His glory. I know that's a mouthful. And I said, anchor yourselves, your hearts, your everything, your joy is anchored in God. And we are just so wired to try to find our joy in everything else, and it fails. This morning, I want to say, anchor your lives in joy in the pursuit of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do it through the gospel. I hope you see, or I want you to see that the gospel, I want you to see the gospel clearly. I pray that you go out saying, I saw the gospel clearly, and I saw how central it is to my daily life. There is no remedy in heaven or earth like the one I'm going to talk to you about this morning. There is no source of healing for the proud, for the self-righteous, and the miserable hypocrite, which might be in this room this morning. Because I'm wired that way. There is no source of healing for the ever-striving but ever-failing legalists. For the sin-plagued, enslaved to habits, addictions, and destructive behaviors codependent. For the person who wrestles daily, if not hourly, with persistent guilt. There is no cure like this one that heals the brokenhearted, secures the insecure, befriends the lonely, softens the hardened heart, puts back together the devastated, and brings peace where there once was no peace, and where no other peace can truly be found. There is no drug or counsel or therapy that can produce results like this one, which can heal depression, give sustaining grace, depression, anxiety, and despondency. There is no friend. There is no counselor. There is no drink. There is no drug. There is no food or relationship or act of pleasure or hobby or exercise or activity that can bring what this cordial of life can bring to our soul. It doesn't happen just on Sunday morning when we're in front of the sermon. It is meant to go with us every day of the week for every hour for the rest of our lives. It is to touch and impact everything about us. Every earthly comfort, whether it be the wealth of a Donald Trump or the popularity of our latest hero or media star, is vanity and can compete nothingness with the centrality of this transforming gift. This gift that I'm going to talk to you about indeed is a gift. It can't be bought by you or me, but it was purchased long ago at an infinite cost by another. He's given us it freely, which is called grace. The conditions to receive this gift are great and they're small. Small in that we need not work, we cannot work, we cannot strive, earn, merit, or pay this gift is given. However, our hearts must turn from our own 
self-destructing righteousness. All our righteousness, all our efforts to get this gift needs to be repented of. Because it can't be gotten in that way. I am speaking of the gospel. There is one gospel. All others are counterfeit and will do the opposite of what they promise. But they're out there. They are gospels that will tell us that if you do this, you'll have this. If you lean on this, it will bring this type of security. It will bring this type of pleasure. It will bring this type of meaning in your life. There is no other gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the source of all life and peace and mercy and joy and pleasure and hope and gratitude and purpose and relationship and freedom and comfort and security. These are not overstatements, they're understatements. This gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life. They are the A through Z of the Christian life. They are not just the front door of the Christian life. They are the front room of the Christian life, the hallways of the Christian life, your living room, your bedroom, your everything. The gospel goes with you and is in everything. It is richly furnished. Your Christian life is furnished with this gospel. It is meant to be furnished. And yet too often, we leave everything in boxes and enjoy so little of our great salvation and therefore show so little to the world of the grace and the joy and the peace that is in that gospel that is meant for us today. Perhaps you've come here this morning feeling good about yourself. I want to say to you that's good and well depending on the source of such a cause of that comfort. Do you believe that God owes you a good life? Do you feel angry and betrayed by God when things are bad? When things bad happen to you as though you deserved otherwise? Do you come here this morning feeling guilty and unworthy to worship? Are you painfully preoccupied with a particular habitual sin in your life right now? Are you discouraged by your failures? Is there something in your past that you just can't get over? I have good news for you. The God's Word has good news for you. I have the Gospel. This is central to the church, and it must be central to our lives. So I want to do two things this morning. Two primary things. Actually, I put down as three, so I guess I'll, I have three things. I, have the, I want to say, what is the Gospel? I want to say... Why is the gospel central? And I hope you see it's, it is so central. It's just not one add-on. It's not a front door. It's the whole house of the Christian life. And I would say it's the whole Bible. The Bible focuses in on the gospel. And how do, what differences does it make in our lives, in your life tomorrow or this afternoon? I am not interested in a gospel that does not leaves me after salvation, and then I have to go somewhere else for the rest of the strength. Maybe it's the promises of God, but it's disconnected to the gospel. No, I can't have that kind of gospel. I need a gospel that goes with me for the rest of my life. I need a gospel that will help me fight against sin and habitual sin, will help me fight against sin and guilt and a guilty conscience. I need a gospel that will defeat pride and arrogance and free me from being all about myself, which is such a miserable way to live, and yet we're all wired to be stuck on self. I need a gospel that will help me on Monday morning when I'm tired and I don't know where I'm gonna, how I'm going to make it through the week. 
think I need a gospel that will help me through trial and struggle. I need a gospel that I can bring to my neighbor and know that he, this gospel is big enough to transform that person's life. I need a gospel big enough to help me love my wife as Christ loved the church. I need a gospel big enough to be able to bring up my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I need a gospel that's strong enough to come here week after week and proclaim it and believe that something happens. I need a gospel that we gather around, whether it be during the week or on Sundays, and we say, this will transform us. This will transform how we think and how we believe and how we love and how we live and what we prioritize. I need that type of gospel, and I do trust that so do you. So what is the gospel? There are many ways of saying it. There are many ways of singing the gospel. We sang the gospel in a few ways this morning. We sang, I once was lost. We sang, we sang about how the testimony, all I have is Christ. I was, I was in darkness and God came in and he did something to me. We sang it in what was called the gospel song. Holy God in love became sin for us. And now we live again because of what he did. It was proclaimed when I read, he blots out our transgressions. And, and Jay read it when he read in 1 Peter about how the righteous for the unrighteous. I want to bring to you the gospel this morning. I want to say it in a few ways. And so whether you are an elementary kid, you are maybe you are just getting towards high school or junior high, or you're a young adult, or you're parenting a bunch of kids or a few kids, or whether you are an empty nester and retired, or whether you are at a place where you are spending the majority of your time when it comes down to kids with grandchildren, or maybe even great-grandchildren, this gospel's for you. What is the gospel? These, I, I want to use a few terms, because I want you to hear that when you read the New Testament, you find these terms often being referred to, and that is Christ, the cross, and the gospel. Paul said, I preach the cross of Jesus Christ, or I'm going to preach Christ. What he means is the gospel, what the gospel of Jesus Christ. These terms are used and tied together. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Central to the gospel is the cross of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to see a few things. That I want you to start by saying something that's really important. I had a friend of mine tell me once that he grew up hearing he, his, his grandma would take a hand and say, I have, well, not, not yet. I want He would take his hand, and his, his grandma would say, I want you to learn five things, Mike. There's some mics in here. I will never, I will not leave you. I will not leave you, God says. Take that hand and go with it wherever you go. That's a good hand to have, right? I will never, I will not leave you. I, I need that. Well, I want to give you a right hand. I want to give you a right hand when you think about this, kids or adults or grandpa and grandma. Here are five. We find it in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 3. Christ died for my sins. It's simple. It is profound. Christ died for my sins. Christ died for your sins. He says in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 4, Paul says it in verse 3, 
I delivered to you a first importance. There's something central you need to get. Central to the gospel is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Then he was buried. And as we sang this morning, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The gospel includes more than that. But I want to, I want to get down to the bare roots of it. Christ died for my sins. I like to say it this way. When I want to, when I want to give a broader explanation of the gospel, I think of it this way. I, I think in six points or three points. Three points might be, I want to think of God and man and Christ. But I think of it this way. God, purpose, sin, punishment, Christ, faith. And we have it up on the screen here. God, purpose, sin, punishment, Christ, faith. That there is a God that is infinitely glorious, and He created me for His glory. That's purpose. But the Bible reveals that we all have sinned and fallen short of that purpose. All of us do not glorify God. Instead, there's none righteous, no, not one. Everyone has turned away from God. They've gone to another way. Maybe you're here this morning. You've not heard this message clearly enough. There is a good news for you. It starts, though, that God made you, and he made you for a purpose. And yet, you and I and every human in this human race, after Adam, have not fulfilled that purpose. We sin. And that sin is a big deal. It's a big deal because there's a righteous and holy God. He cannot, as a just God and a holy God, condone sin, accept sin, just let it go. He must punish sin because he is a righteous and justice God, just God. And yet, the gospel reveals that he is a merciful God, he is a wise God, he is a powerful God, full of steadfast mercy and love. And in, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Christ is our offering. And I want to focus on that. Christ is our offering. And I want you to see this morning two things. There are some in this room, I believe that you need to hear this message and God would be drawing you in such a way that you're going to get saved today or this week or this season and you will pass from death to life in a spiritual way your heart. There will, you will hear and you will receive the gospel in a way that you never have whether you had heard of it before or thought you knew it. And God is going to so apply these truths, and you'll believe them with a spiritual believing that it, later on you'll go, it was God that did it. And I just rejoice. His spirit came in. He saved me. I would have never believed in the way I need to unless it was his work in my life. And so I'm praying that happens, and I'm going to invite you tonight, to this morning, to that. Even right now, as you hear these truths, receive it. Say, if, if you don't, if you find your heart going, I believe that, I love that, God, thank you for that. Maybe for the first time, I call you to that. But then there are some of you this morning that this gospel, you have believed by God's grace.
Christ and you are saved and he has worked in your life faith in the new birth, as John 3 talks about it. But you do not have a powerful gospel, at least functioning practically in your life, at least to your consciousness. It is powerful. You don't make it powerful as powerful as it is, but you have not applied that powerful gospel in your life as you fight against your own besetting sins, whether they be self-righteousness and pride, or they be persistent sin and guilt and habitual sin, whether they be things that everybody knows about and things that no one knows about. You need this gospel. I, will, I pray that you will go out of this room this morning when you hear these five words, Christ died for my sins. You'll say, hallelujah, what a Savior. You will, you will hear, Christ died for my sins, and you will fill in so much more. Those five words will mean so much more than just a theological truth you may, may have known since you were in nursery school since you saw a flannel graph and heard a Bible story. So I want to look at a few passages that you I read at the beginning. And then I want to wrap it up with an illustration. What is the gospel and why is it central? Why? What is the gospel? Why is it central? The gospel is the story that God has, God made us for a purpose. We do not live according to that purpose. That's a big deal. Punishment is sin. Is the wages of sin is death. The, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. And so I want to look at what through Jesus means by looking at Galatians 3.11, 13 through 14. I don't think that we're going to understand and appreciate the weight of the gospel, the joy of the gospel, the peace that comes with the gospel, unless we start to really understand this. Galatians 3.11 talks, says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Paul is saying that curse, every single human being is cursed unless they can get 100% on law keeping. Can you do that? Can I do that? No. You'd think a 99% is pretty good. If you could do that, you're cursed, God says. Cursed is everyone that tries to abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. If they, if they break it in one, who does not do all of the things written in the book of the law. There's a curse upon them. The curse is sin. We... Romans 3 says that there is none righteous, no, not one. Everyone is turned, and you can start to say, but I'm pretty good at that. That's an overstatement about the human condition, isn't it not? But it is not. God calls us to the standard to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We saw that last week. Are you loving? Have you, have, did you make it to this service loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength this morning? Did you? I didn't. I need a Savior for my sins. I, probably, I, can't, 
can't make it through the sermon without seeing God, without loving God with all my heart and with all my soul. And my mind could quickly just get distracted and worried about things that are all about me. And you could do the same. That we all are in this condition that we so badly need. And yet, verse 13 is our need meeting, is our answer. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us. He purchased us, purchased from us, from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That's the cross. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Christ redeemed. If you want to have, and here's the problem. God says that if you are going to have fellowship with me and eternal life forever in heaven, and even fellowship with me right now in this life, and that's the only place where there's peace with God. You need to be righteous. You need to have a righteous standing. And you are not righteous. But Christ did something for us. Christ died for our sins. He became a curse in order that we would not be cursed. Let's look deeper. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. In fact, I'm just going to focus on verse 21. For our sake, God, that's, that's He, He's talking about God, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin. For our sake, He, that's God, made Him, that's Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. Jesus is the sinless Son of God. Every gospel speaks to this testimony that Jesus was without sin. All of the apostles in the New Testament, as they write, they say He did not sin. He did not fall into temptation. He was completely obedient to the Father. He fulfilled all righteousness in this life. He was without sin. There's no one who deserves to die less than this one. There is no one who is righteous but this one. There was no one who is holy but this one. This is Jesus, the Son of God. It says, for our sake, God made him to be sin. What this doesn't mean is God, Jesus became a sinner. What this does mean is the guilt, the legal guilt, the punishment was put upon this man who knew no sin for this reason, for our sake. Because Christ died for our sins. It was done because Christ died for our sins so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is called the great exchange. Do you see it? you see the great exchange? How is this? This is the, the grace of the gospel. The great exchange is, I give God 
all of my sins, he gives me all of his righteousness. That is what I need tomorrow morning. That is what I need today. That is what I need this hour as I preach. I need this great exchange that happened once for all when Jesus was on the cross, that I received by faith when I came to him and I accepted him into my life and I was saved. And I need it. I need to keep remembering it every day of my life. It's called justification. It's a big word. We don't always use it. We might say he's justified in what he did. You know, we might watch a football game and, and there was a bad call. And the next play, he throws a touchdown. Yeah, he was justified. He, he was right. No. The word justified really could be, and, and you get the words in there, it's as though you could say, just as if I had never sinned. Justified is just as if I had never sinned. If you have received the benefits of the gospel this morning, and I would say I hope you have, and if you haven't, you can, there is a way in which God looks at you now because of what? Because Christ died for my sin. Christ died for your sin if you receive him. Just as if you had never sinned, but it gets better than that. It's not just as if I had never sinned, because that wouldn't be good enough. It's not like, okay, you took away my sins and now we're just at ground zero again. Because God is a righteous and holy God and he requires righteousness, perfect obedience. It's not like I just need to be, have my sins taken care of for how lousy of a dad I was, how a jerk of a husband I was, or a wife I was, or an employee I was, or a son I was, a daughter. No, I, I need to start doing right. I need to start loving God. I need to start obeying God. Justification, it says here, so that in Him, you might be the righteousness of God just as if I had always obeyed. What the gospel means for those that have received the gospel, Christ died for my sins. And that means it's just as if I had never sinned and just as if I always obeyed. Because I have Christ's righteousness now in me. There has been a substitute, and now in that substitute, has been put upon me, imputed upon me, and I have a new status. And it's real. It's real. Now, I want to talk to you about the centrality of the story of the Bible, but I'm going to, I'm going to skip past that. The, the Bible, other than I want to say this, the Bible, the gospel is central in the Bible. G. Paul said, I want to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. He says that the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and follies to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jew and Gentile, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul said, far be it from me that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus, in which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It changed my life. It's central to everything. Jesus, in Luke 24, when he was walking in the road to Damascus, 
He said that the whole Bible, the prophets, the Psalms, Moses, they all were pointing to this story of what God, Jesus, was going to do in the world. In Romans 8, we find that the entire universe is then submitted to futility, and in the gospel, God is going to rescue it and renew it someday. He's going to, he's reconciling all things to himself, whether on earth and heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. But I wanted this morning end by talking to you about the gospel and how it applies to your everyday life this week, today. This last week I came across a book that I had in my library, but I'd never read it. I recommend it to you. It's called The Bookends of the Gospel. Or I should know, I should say The Bookends of the Christian Life. It's by Jerry Bridges. He's written a lot of books, The Pursuit of Godliness. He's written The Joy of Fearing God. He's written many other books. Trusting God is one of them. And in this book, The Bookends of the Christian Life, he co-authors with Bevington, he brings to us how the centrality of the gospel is meant to bring us to tomorrow. And I want you to see that. I, I, I don't want you to just go... Yeah, it's a great gospel. The church needs to be about the gospel. Let's bring the gospel to life. Now, I want you to say, you need the gospel this afternoon when you go to bed and when you rise up, you need that gospel. You need to take it with you to work and you need it with your kids in homeschooling or when you're going to school. You need it in your job. You need it when you drive home. We need the gospel. Now, as Paul said it this way, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Now, notice what he's doing. He's connecting. I've, it is no longer I who live. I've been crucified with Christ. And he's basing on it, Christ died for my sins. And so I no longer live, but it's Christ now living in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Critical to the gospel is our receiving it by faith. The way you receive salvation, we saw this in membership class this morning, the requirements are repentance and faith. Another way of saying it, you're renouncing and reliance. You renounce your ability to do anything. When you receive the gospel, you say, I can't be righteous. I can't get saved. I can't do it. And I rely completely on your work. It's renunciation and reliance completely on him. Ephesians 2 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your work. So you can't boast about it at all. It's all God's work. Now, I want to conclude by using Jerry Bridges in an analogy of the bookends of the Christian life. You need bookends for your life. This is what I mean. Imagine your life is a bookshelf, and on that bookshelf are all the books of your life, the aspects of your life. You have... You have your church book, and you have a book that's your finances, and you have a book which would be your sex life, and you have a book which your eating life, and you have your book that's your money life, and you have your family book, and you have your work book, and you have your pleasures and your habits. You, okay, you get it. You have all these. You have a bookshelf, and all of these books are the books that make up your life. Without the gospel. Those books are flopping around. They're disorderly. They're not put together. They need bookends. 
They need bookends to bring it all together. Now, don't follow the analogy too far, but they need to bring it together, bring it structure, and make sense together. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ died for my sins, provides these bookends. These bookends stand there. They hold my, these bookends, these books together. And they impact everything. You take these bookends down, the books don't stand up, and they fall apart. They fall off the shelf and we're done. They're a mess. Our lives are a mess apart from these bookends bringing it together. Here are the two bookends. The first bookend of the gospel, the first bookend of the Christian life, is the righteousness of Christ. When you think of the gospel tomorrow, when you think... Christ died for my sins. You need to go, well, what does that mean? What does that mean today? I have the righteousness of Christ. That doesn't mean that you're sinless. That doesn't mean that temptation is easier in and of itself immediately. What that means is that when God looks at you, and when you think about how God looks at you, He's really pleased. Do you think that way? If you receive the gospel, God looks at you in one way, ultimately. I'm really pleased with what my son did. And you're my you're, you're in my son. You you have the righteousness of Jesus upon you. That is the foundational bookend that holds the books of our lives together without which we deal with self-righteousness, which is a massive gospel enemy, where we actually think that we add to God's righteousness or that God actually is pretty proud of us because of what we did. You know, we do good things. And they're godly things, and they're pleasing things to God, but it's only because God worked something in us. And so whenever we do something good and we have victory, may we never boast, but we go, it's all based on the righteousness of God that He has worked. He has declared me to be and is now working in me, which we're going to see the second book here in a minute. But I don't want to move on yet. The righteousness of Christ is the foundation of the gospel that I desperately need, that is part of that great exchange that I need when I fight self-righteousness. Do you fight fight self-righteousness? Maybe you do if some of these things are true. You tend to live a life by a list of do's and don'ts. Is it difficult for you to respect those whose standards aren't as high as yours? Do you assume that practicing spiritual disciplines like reading the Bible, going to church, meditating on His Word practice of a prayer life, memorizing the scripture, all of which I believe are really important to the Christian life. But do you believe that all of them should automatically result as a God's from God in God's blessing? Do you feel better than most other people? Has it been a long time since you identified a sin and repented of it? Do you resent it when others point out your spiritual blind spots? Do you readily recognize the sins of others but not your own? Do you have a sense that God owes you a good life? 
Do you get angry when difficulties and sufferings come into your life as though you deserve better? God owed you. You seldom think of the cross. If so, perhaps there is a seed of there is seeds of self righteousness coming through, and the gospel is the antidote. The gospel tells us that I am not righteous. I do not deserve grace, but I have received grace. The gospel says I can see. Someone can confront me of my sin, and I can say, thank you very much. I believe I am, my, my standing with God has not been moved by what you say, because I am righteous in Christ, but I do need to grow, and you have helped me see that thank you. I look at my practicing the spiritual disciplines as something that is a gift from God, not something that I did, and that perhaps someone else is not doing them in the same way I am, that God is working at a different pace, and I need to help them and pray for them, but not look down on them. But there's another gospel enemy that the righteousness of Christ, this bookend, must help us with, and that is persistent guilt. Perhaps, and so many of you do, come in here and you are painfully preoccupied with a particular habitual sin. You are discouraged or depressed by a failure to measure up. Do you frequently experience anxiety that something's about to go wrong? Does it appear God can use others but not you? Is there something in your past that you just can't get over? Do you fear your past will come back and haunt you? Do your difficult circumstances seem like God's judging you for your sin rather than loving you and disciplining you because he has now declared you righteous? Do you steer clear of intimate relationships or small group discussions? When you sin, do you get a vague sense that somehow there'll be a price to pay? And do you seldomly think of the cross? The, the righteousness of Christ is my antidote. It is my balm. It is meant to be the sinner's balm when they deal with persistent guilt. Jesus, you declared me righteous. Jesus, you are pleased, God, you are pleased with me because of what Jesus did. Now, the impact of that is not, okay, let's just go live our lives as, as sinners that just does, that have no change in their life. No. The impact of this really is the beginning of gratitude and joy and love for this God. So I want to finish with the last book, and this is what we're going to see in the coming weeks, especially on prayer. The second one is the power of the Holy Spirit. You can say the power of Christ, because it's the power of Christ given to the believer through the Holy Spirit. But I want you to see that if you, if Christ has died for your sins... You are the righteousness of Christ, and you have been given the Holy Spirit. And I need that. I need that now and forever, and so do you. We as a church need that. We need it together. We're not just a bunch of Lone Ranger Christians going to do their thing. We need the Spirit to help us together. We need to together declare that we are righteous in Christ. And this, this defeats the gospel enemy of self-reliance. That I can do it myself, I can pull myself up and follow Jesus by myself, that I can actually please God and of myself. No, I can't. I'm a sinner, and in fact, here's the thing. 
as we grow in our knowledge of what that Christ died for my sins, I could be really secure in confessing my own sins, examining where I need to grow, because the foundation of all forgiveness is already taken care of. I'm already accepted with God, and there is a covering, and there's an enabling to overcome through the power of the Holy Spirit. So where are you? Come and receive the gospel. Paul said, I am eager to preach the gospel to you Christians who are in Rome. You and I need the gospel. You, you need it, and I need it today. We need it tomorrow. That Christ died for my sins according to the scriptures. That he is my righteousness. He gives me his spirit. I am his. He owns me. Would you today renounce your own ability to be righteous? And be powerful to fight sin and honor the gospel by believing it in faith. Let's pray. Father, we come and we want to worship you. Even today, now as we respond in singing the power of the cross. Oh God, I pray that our hearts would be overwhelmed with that you are our holiness, you are our righteousness, you are our wisdom, you are our sanctification, you are our life. Because you... Father, gave us your Son who died for our sins. Oh God, I pray that you would work that in our hearts, that we would believe it and obey it. I pray that there are some here this morning, Father, that you would draw them to the message so that they would by faith receive what they are now seeing with spiritual eyes, that you are their Savior and they believe it and call you into their lives. God, would you do that, you who are calling them? And so, God, would you, as we sing now, and then in a few minutes, offer up our offerings. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together. Stand together and remember the story of the gospel. And rejoice in Christ.